For those of you who are just joining us this morning, we are going through the book of John as a church, the Gospel of John, and it has been absolutely wonderful. We've titled the series, To Know and to Believe, and so far we've covered chapter one fully, where John just proclaimed Christ's deity from being proclaimed from Genesis all the way up until John the Baptist is standing there going, that's the dude. That's, that's Christ right there, guys. Leave me, join him. Actually, he didn't even really have to command them to leave. They just said, well, John, see you later. We see Christ. And then last week was the beginning of Christ's ministry. And that is where Brandon last week, if you weren't here, listened to the sermon. It was absolutely beautiful. And, and Brandon took the miracle of the wedding at the feast. And typically we take that kind of like, a, oh, cool, he created wine. Like, good job, Jesus. But yet, when we look at the Gospel of John and everything that Christ is proclaiming and that John is re-proclaiming about Christ is that when he created that vat of wine, Christ was saying, my sacrifice is going to be sufficient enough. It is going to overflow, and it is better than the old covenant. I am the better groom. I am the better Adam. I am the better in the new covenant. And in me, there is going to be complete and full reconciliation. It's not just a vat of wine, church. It, it is that Christ is enough, that Christ is the only, and that Christ is better. That's what Brandon preached last week. And as we continue through the book of John in chapter 2, we see that this is the message that Christ continues to proclaim about himself. So if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. While you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and, and just give you a quick overview of really contextually where this event is taking place. So it's during Passover. So that means all the Jews are coming to the temple. Because at this time of year is when you come to the temple and you bring your sacrifice for your family. The temple was separated into three separate parts. There's the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. The outer court is where Gentiles could actually come into the temple. The outer court is where they had sacrifices, where they were selling oxen and sheep and goats. And you could purchase your sacrifice if you travel from afar and you could come in and you could buy your sacrifice and then you could go in and bring it to the Levitical priest and he would sacrifice it on behalf of your family. Purifying you for another year until next year's Passover. So that's contextually where this is taking place. So if you would, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to read John chapter 2, two verses 13 through 25. Please bear with me. I've been practicing my out loud reading, but here we go. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, 
with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But when Jesus on his part, or but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Why don't we go ahead and just bow before the Lord and just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you because you are a good, faithful, merciful, gracious, and awesome God. Jesus, I thank you for being the one who is in authority. I thank you that you are the one who is better. Lord, I, I come before you this morning humbly because the message that you've given me to preach is a large message. It's a simple one, but it is revolutionary. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts Lord, give us ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would hear the truth that your word is teaching us and that you would allow us to apply that to our lives so that as we walk through our daily lives, your name is glorified. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Give me clarity of speech and may all glory and honor go to you in your holy, precious, life-giving name. Amen. So, John chapter 2, the cleansing of the temple. I've heard this story a lot. I know it. Jesus walks in, whips some people, flips some tables. And as I've heard this message taught to me, or even studied it myself, I, I've always understood it really with one main point, or it's been taught to me in one specific way. And that specific way had two main points that you could draw from it. One, Jesus had righteous and justified anger. Yeah, we see that. We see it's true. Then two, that we need to be zealous in the way that we engage with our world when we see our God made into a gimmick also, yeah, absolutely true. But as I studied this passage, I, I prayed, I said, Lord, teach me what you want to teach me. Show me who you are and show me what you're trying to say to me through this passage. 
And church, as I read over it and over it and studied and meditated and just prayed that the Lord would reveal himself more to me, I don't think those were the main points John was getting at. I still think those are very valuable truths that we can apply to our lives. But I don't think it was John's main point. Christians, for those who believe in Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of Christ here on earth. That being said, let's take it back to the context of what this message is, of where it's taking place. So Jesus is walking into the temple. This is Solomon's temple, the one that was actually built. It's not the tent that the instructions and dimensions were given to by to Moses way back when. It's still the same dimensions and everything, still the same instruction, but this is the actual temple. It's not a tent. So Jesus is walking in, and he enters into that outer court, and he's looking around, and he's seeing all this, all these oxen, all these sheep, goats, pigeons, everything else. He's seeing money changers with their tables, and he, he gets so frustrated, he actually leaves, fashions a whip, comes back, starts whipping all the livestock, flipping tables, telling people to get out. That seems a little odd. When I started thinking about it, that would be like someone coming into church and just start kicking over the podium and throwing our offering basket from nowhere. And the reason it's from nowhere is because when we go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 14, 26, I'll read it to you guys. It says, and if the way is too long so that you are not able to carry your tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God has chose to set his name there, then you shall turn your tithe into money and bind the money to your hand and go to the place that your God has chose. And spend the money there for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. So as odd as it seems, I've always understood that this marketplace was just something that they kind of set up in there. That it was just this place that they're like, hey, we can make a profit off of this. When you go back to Deuteronomy, you actually see that it was something that God instructed them to do because you have sojourners from afar coming at the Passover to go ahead and make their sacrifice. Their atoning sacrifice, whether it be a bull or a sheep or a pigeon, whatever you could afford. These are people coming from separate and different lands. So therefore, money changers. Okay, well, it's going to cost this. And, and we do see in other passages that they had upped the price, that they were trying to make a profit, that it had become a business. But this was something that the Lord had instructed them to do. If you're traveling from far and you can't bring the stuff that the Lord has blessed you with, change it into money so that you can come and buy it so that you can sacrifice it there and thank me and rejoice and celebrate and commune with me. 
That was something that was instructed all the way back to Deuteronomy. So all of a sudden, then me knowing that, I'm like, well, why in the world would Jesus go in and flip a lid? He goes in, he just starts flipping tables, telling people to get out, chase them off with a whip. Like, are you kidding me? So Jesus was not objecting to the religion or the practice of it. They were buying the offering that was specified in God's law to perform the ritual acts specified in God's law. They were being obedient. And yet Jesus still felt the need to go in and chase the sacrifices out. He still felt the need to go flip the tables to tell them to take everything away, that this was his father's house, that he had incredible zeal for his father's house. He did not want it to be tainted in any way, shape, or form. Jesus objected to the misidentification of the temple with the marketplace. People had misunderstood that it was a place to go to conveniently get what they wanted or needed. They had turned it into a business. I'm just going to throw it out there. Does that sound familiar? They had gone to a, a building or a place to check off their Christian boxes. Jesus didn't stand for that because the temple was not for that. Church, the temple, the temple was a place for them to commune with God, for them to be in the presence of God, for them to recognize what God has done on their behalf. Jesus entered the temple and he drove out the sacrifices. He told them to take the pigeons out of here. He removed the money in the trade. Church, why? Why did he do this? What was the point of the only temper tantrum we ever see Jesus throw? Granted, in righteous anger, not like my son throws. It was a righteous anger, but... The only time we see him get this livid about something, why? And as I continue to study, that was the question that I asked. Why did Christ act in this way? What was he proclaiming about himself? We see the Jews, the, the Pharisees, who are the teachers, the people that are in there, they come up to him and they go, Jesus. On what authority are you doing this? And he kind of answers in a little bit of a cocky way. He goes, tear this, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. And they're like, dude, it took us 46 years to build this. It took us 46 years to get all the supplies to build this. And putting it together, we have not only the holy place where we have the uh, altar with the the bread of presence and 
And then you go into the holy place. I mean, the curtain alone was over a foot thick. They estimate it took 300 people to hang this stinking thing. With gold thread intertwined, the outfits that the Levitical priests wore, extravagant. Then you've got the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat, all gold, with a golden urn on the inside with Aaron's staff that had budded and the manna and then the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. And they're going, no, you don't understand. It took us 46 years to build this. For you to say three days, you're being, you're being cocky. You're not understanding the tradition, the heritage that we have here. I understand you may not approve of how we're doing these things, but this is how we've been instructed to do these things. So who are you to come in here and start flipping tables and driving the sacrifices for people to atone for a year? Who are you to drive that out? And it says that the disciples remembered that he would have zeal for his father's house, and they believed what he was saying. As I continued studying, I, I ran into Hebrews, and I'm just going to read a couple different Hebrews uh, passages. I was going to get them up on the screen, but I, I forgot. So you guys get to listen to me read again. If you haven't spent any time in Hebrews, Hebrews 7 through like, actually Hebrews just in general is a really good book. Read it. It's incredible. But Hebrews 8 verses 5 through 7 says, They serve a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according, according to the pattern that I have sh shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. He the one he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For the first covenant has, it, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Then going down to the end of the chapter, Hebrews eight thirteen, it says, "In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete." And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things, or, but when Christ as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, not one made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, securing an, an eternal redemption. For if by the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve a living God. Hebrews 10, 9 through 14. It's a lot of scripture, just stick with me. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. 
And by that, we have sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Or, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So why, why do these passages in Hebrews match up to the passage in John? Church, when Jesus entered that temple, when he walked in and he started flipping the tables and driving the sacrifices out, you want to know what Christ was proclaiming? Christ was still proclaiming a path to reconciliation. He drove everything out, and the only thing left was Christ. He removed any other opportunity for man to reconcile himself to God and stood there alone. It's not by your wealth. It's not by your sacrifices. It's not by your ability to carry things out or the traditions that you follow. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about anything. It is about the person of Christ and Christ alone. That's why this passage is so important and so implemental. Church, do you understand what he was proclaiming there? Do you understand the authority that he proclaimed it from? He said, this is my father's house. Through no one but me can you be reconciled to the Father. I am the only sacrifice, and even the fact that it took place in the outer court where the Gentiles were welcome. Guess what, church? We're Gentiles. Only us through the person of Jesus Christ, only mankind through the person of Jesus Christ can be reconciled to the Father that we can engage with him in fullness. Leviticus 26, verses 11 and 12, it says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Church, Christ entering the temple, flipping the tables, driving out the sacrifices. This was Christ proclaiming that he has now come to live in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to mark us as his. And it is all attainable because of the person of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, guess what? We would still be walking through the position of walking and doing our daily sacrifices and doing all of the tradition and all of the things to try to be enough. Christ drove it out saying, it's not enough. You can't. So stop trying and just find yourself in me, abide in me and I in you. In fullness. Church, this was Christ proclaiming yet again. Just like Brandon preached last week, this is Christ proclaiming yet again that he is going to be enough. That in his authority, he has removed any other option or ability. It's not even to the old covenant. He's done away with it because he fulfilled it. 
He was foreshadowing that he was going to fulfill the old covenant, that it would no longer be needed for us to make our sacrifice because our sacrifice was not worthy to bring us into right standing with God. His actions were showing that he was going to be enough and that he was the only and perfect way. That he was bringing in the new covenant. And in that new covenant, guess what? You're either found in Christ or you're found out of Christ. And that is the only way that God looks at us. Church, I want you so badly to grasp this truth because it is revolutionary and it should change the way that we walk and we think. For myself, I'm a legalist. If I can do all the rules, guess what? I'm good enough. My entire life, I've been able to express the gospel to everybody else. Oh, there's grace, there's mercy. Jesus loves you. Just continue to walk. His sacrifice was enough for your sin. I can go on and on and on. But when I examine my own life, guess what, church? Jesus, you made a mistake in putting all those sacrifices out because I still need to try. I still need to do enough to be acceptable for you. And then you have other guys in this room that I've even talked to that say, my life was in such shambles. I knew all of the sin that I had done that there was no way God could, could ever forgive me. Church, what Christ is proclaiming here, what John is proclaiming about Christ here, is that he not only had the authority to go in and drive everything out and flip tables and be the only one left standing to commune with God. He not only had the authority to do that, but church, he also had the ability to fulfill that. He came into our lives for those who are believers, and he drove everything out because we are now his home, we are now his temple, we are now his dwelling place. He came in and he said, there's no room for anything else, just me. Now walk in me. Church, this should wreck the way we think. It's passages like this that help me know and believe. Because that's what Christ did for me. That's what Christ did for everyone in this room who believes. He is enough. He always will be enough. No matter your failure and no matter your success, he doesn't relate to you based off of that. He relates to you on one sole fact, and that is, are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? He looks, he looks at you as his child from a point of birth and a point of rebirth. Church, he has made us his dwelling place. I didn't look up more passages because I already had too much scripture, and that's been something that I do too much of. I have too many references. But we know elsewhere in Scripture that, that we are called His temple. We are told that He 
He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit to mark us as his. And you want to know how we know this is true? Sorry, actually, I walked away from this too often. I forgot where I am. We know this to be true because, spoiler alert, Jesus dies. And then he says, I will rebuild this temple in three days. And it says it in that John passage that he was raised again on the third day. But you want to know what happened when he, rose in, when he was raised from the dead? When he was raised from the dead church, he enacted, he became the guarantor of the new covenant. And in that new covenant, the things he says about us is that we are justified, we are sanctified, and we are forgiven. Because the blood of Christ is enough.